Well, good morning again. As we get into the sermon here, we are going through a summer series. For those that have followed us for a couple of years, our summer series, we always have uh, testimonials that we go through and we bring uh, just a, a series where we work with the testimonies of our members. And this is an opportunity for us to really share as a church with each other. Uh, but also to encourage each other in our walk. And, and, it's, and, and it's, it's, the summer series is always fun because we get to hear all these different stories. And today we have um, Alex and Jesse that, that will be sharing uh, via video um, just because we're not letting kids into our service yet and they have three kids. And so they're going to be sharing through a video that they have recorded. Um, but we're, we're in Songs of Solomon. Songs of Solomon is... Um, it's also known as the Book of Songs of Songs. And Songs of Songs, the, re- the reason why it's talked like this, because in the Jewish, the Jewish culture, when it's the best of something, like the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Song of Songs, this is the best of the songs, the best of Solomon's songs. And, and so this book is a book of poetry, it's a book of songs, it's the best of the best. So as we go through the summer series, I will have to say that it's actually been very challenging for me. The reason why I find it challenging is because I really don't like poetry. And so what I've realized in in preparing for this sermon and preparing for this series is that I've read Songs of Solomon many, many times, but I always read it in one go, and I read it as fast as I can, and I just skim through it just to say that I've done it. So, this time around, when I had to read it, it was not easy. I find that reading the Songs of Solomon is like reading Shakespeare. I don't, there's too many metaphors, there's too many allegories, there's too many things in there that aren't like, you know, the epistles are practical, right? All of Paul's writings are very practical. The New Testament is very practical. It's in your face, just, this is what you do, this is how you live, a lot of the Old Testament, the narrative is interesting. There's awesome battles, awesome miracles. There's things that keep driving the story, then you're, 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 you're pulled in. But when I read this, the, the metaphors are beyond me. When I read it and I, I, I see Solomon describing this woman as a horse, I'm just like, well... That's not, a, that's not a compliment, is it? I mean, when we, when we think of describing a woman as a horse, usually it's not a compliment. But yet he, he says that you are like Pharaoh's mare. And then he, he, he goes on and talks about how your hair are like goats and your lips are like scarlet threads and your eyes are like doves and your neck is like a tower and your teeth are like shorn ewes. I was just like, that's an ugly woman. That is not a pretty face. And so when I look at this, it, it, I really have to like sit down and like focus and, and look at the, the scripture for what it is. I must say it is hard. However, this is placed, this book is placed in the canon of the Bible. And not only is it placed under the canon of the Bible, it's one of the wisdom books. 
So it being a wisdom book means that they're probably and actually, a, it, it actually is a very practical book. You just have to read through the metaphor. You just have to get through the language. Many scholars that study this book says there are two ways that you could read and study this book. One is that this is an allegory of a series of poems that represent the relationship between God and his church, which is his beloved. A second way to study this book is a literal sense, that it is a series of poems which highlight the exchanges between two lovers. Both ways are right. It's not wrong to study the book in either way because both sides to study it is actually necessary. Because Jesus speaks of the church as his bride and encourages the relationship between a husband and wife to be like how he is to the church. So I believe this wisdom book is intentional in a way that it is written to be both a story of God and his people. And between two lovers... It is a story, it's a love story that is in the most poetic of ways. So before we get into it, let's pray. Father God, we just come to you and we just ask for your spirit to come and speak because sometimes when we read some tougher scripture, it's hard for us to come to a complete understanding. So we ask for your spirit to come and help interpret. We ask that you speak to us directly to our hearts and speak to us as your church and give us insight in how you relate to the church, but how we relate as people as well. So Lord, we thank you for this scripture. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you are. And we lift this time into your hands and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today as we look into the story of Songs of Solomon, I want to invite another couple to give us their story and how they came together. So this is Alex and Jesse Pearson and their testimony. Um, we are Jessica and Alex Pearson, and we are here to share our testimony today. Um, when we were initially asked, I was somewhat hesitant because I didn't feel like our story was necessarily interesting. Um, spent some time reflecting on that and realized that yes, our story maybe is ordinary, but um, at the same time, it's unique and special. And to us. <laughs> yeah, you can decide um, at the end. Um, and more importantly, God constantly meets us in the ordinary and everyday. And um, I think now more than ever, the days can feel a little ordinary, but, but he's always with us. Um, so Alex and I both grew up in Vernon, BC, and we attended the same high school, which is where we met. And we didn't start dating until we were university, we were just friends throughout high school. Uh, we got married when we were 21, um, mm -hmm. and we were still in university when we got married. Um, we now have three beautiful children, and we will be celebrating our 13th wedding anniversary this coming September. Thank you for reminding me about that. <laughs> So yeah, I first saw Jessica on day one of grade eight. Uh, she and a couple of her friends were seated in the row ahead of me and they were um, writing down phone numbers, each other's phone numbers in multicolored gel pens and having the good eyesight that I do for both women and phone numbers, 
I wrote down their phone numbers in my agenda. And that's kind of where it ended for about four years. Um, same high school, very different social classes within it. And, uh, but in grade 12, I had a friend who was interested in Jesse, and so asked if I had her phone number. And um, I said, yeah, I think I do. I think it's still in my grade eight agenda. Yes, I still have my grade eight agenda. Um, so yeah, I found that phone number and I gave it to him. And later that evening, I get this phone call, uh, but it wasn't from my friend, it was from Jesse who, from my understanding, had just had a very awkward phone call with him. Um, and what I had not realized is that her house number is actually unlisted due to her father's business. So she then asked Carl where he got the number, it came back to me. Um, so we then started talking and our, our mutual joke of that phone call um, kind of became the icebreaker between us. And so between grade 12, you know, the rest of grade 12, we, uh, we just continued to chat and hang out occasionally, but we were more acquaintances than, uh, than friends. So, and then even through first year university, we, we remained acquaintances, a couple emails back and forth between us, but, uh, but nothing romantic as of yet. So yeah, for first year university, Alex went away to UBC and I had stayed in Vernon at a co the college there. Um, when he came home for the summer, we started spending time together and um, I was very surprised to discover that he was enrolled in the Faculty of Forestry at UBC, which is where I was transferring to for the next year. And while well, I knew he was at UBC, that, um, like I said, we were just kind of acquaintances, so I didn't know what he was doing exactly, other than he was at UBC. And um, although we were at different programs within the faculty, it's fairly small and we didn't share any classes, but it was a small enough building and a small enough faculty that we would still be seeing each other frequently. Um, like a hundred of us. I think there was more than that, but anyway. Um, so yeah, it was still the summer before, before university offered to take me for dinner to um, get to know each other a bit better, um, thinking that you know, heading off to university in a different town would be nice to know someone um, a bit better, just kind of build that friendship before before we go in back to university. Um, <laughs> apparently that dinner had ulterior motives and I didn't realize it at the time. Um, so yeah, quickly the friendship um, moved to courtship and I would frequently end my summer job um, at the end of the day, I'd come back to my car and there'd be notes and flowers and other romantic gestures. So yeah, one of the questions we got asked is what qualities attracted each of us to the other? Um, for me, it was Jesse's smile and just natural joy. Um, even in high school, Jesse just had a reputation for being happy and nice. Uh, further on, it became her love of her family um, love for her friends, and um, I would probably be amiss if I didn't mention her looks had a little bit to do with it as well. I'll be honest, <laughs> there was an initial physical attraction for sure, and I'm not going to have to hide that under other characteristics. It's definitely um, his broad shoulders and his smile, and um, this is kind of more, speaks to now, but I love as he's aged that he's got the laugh 
smile crinkles um, around his eyes, so we still love his smile. Um, beyond the physical, Alex um, is the most dependable and committed person I think I've ever met. I, um, if he says he's going to do something or be somewhere, he will do almost anything to make that happen, even if he's tired or not feeling well. Um, for those of you lucky enough to be friends with him, I'm sure you've seen that selflessness in him before. Um, also from the beginning, it was easy to see that family was very important to him. He's got three sisters and he's very close with them and was at the time and that was wonderful to see um, for me. Of course. After a short parenting break, we're back. Real life <laughs> over here in the Pearson household. Um, the only other thing I wanted to add to that was just that um, fairly early on in our relationship, we had all the big conversations about um, marriage and kids and money um, and kind of yeah, got all those out of the way fairly early mm -hmm. on. So yeah, we were at uh, UBC together spending almost every day together, living life, dinners, friends, events, um, some together, some apart, just, you know, we were finding out who we were as people and then also who we were as a couple. Um, but for me, I just found everything was, was better when, when Jesse was there. So, yeah, so then the next question we had were, the moment we knew we were first in love. And I think for me, I knew very early on um, as the one initiating the relationship and, and asking her out to dinner, I think I had a bit more time to think about it um, than most. And I wouldn't have probably pursued the relationship unless I saw marriage as a far off goal, but attainable goal. Um, but. I think I really was in love just kind of from the start and I was just kind of biding my time until it was appropriate to marry her. <laughs> so. Um, the question of when I initially realized we were in love wasn't something I had really considered, um, but I do remember with great clarity we were doing premarital counseling with Alex's pastor who married us, his pastor from Vernon, um, who I first met when we were doing the counseling together. And I think he followed up that big question about, you know, how's your relationship with Jesus? We'd met, you know, two minutes before. And you know, he started with that, the Jesus question. And then he went into like, how do you know, or when did you know something like that? You were in love with Alex. And it took me aback a little because as I said, I just met the man and I hadn't necessarily really thought about that before. I knew I was in love with Alex, but um, if there was a defining moment. Um, so it took a, took a minute to kind of gather my thoughts and then um, a very distinct memory came to me when we had been dating for a few months. We were at UBC and uh, my opa, my grandfather, was admitted to the UBC hospital and um, I was living on campus at the time, so it wasn't very far to go, and so I went to go to go visit him there. And him being there was a bit of an unusual set of circumstances. He didn't live anywhere nearby, um, 
um, but I can't remember the particular reason why he was sent to that hospital, but um, he was there and I went to visit him and he had been diagnosed with Parkinson's years earlier and was now developing dementia. It turns out he had taken quite the turn since I had last seen him and the dementia had advanced quite a bit and so he was very much a different person than the last time I had seen him and it was quite shocking to see him and I left the visit quite upset because this was you know, my grandfather and um, it just really, really wasn't him. I don't know if you've ever visited someone like that and it's just startling to see when they've changed so much. and. So as I said, I was quite upset and I kind of, you know, left and I think it was kind of near the end of the day and I just really didn't know what to do with myself. I think I had a little cry on the walk back to where, where I lived and um, I just didn't know who to call or who to talk to and, and then I realized that it was, it was Alex. Alex was the person I wanted to talk to, the only person I wanted to be with and I don't necessarily think that I talk to him much about the visit but I just he was the comfort that I wanted and needed he was my best friend already and yeah, and that was that was how I answered the pastor then <laughs> that's how I would answer it now that was kind of my big I love this man moment um. so yeah it was then kind of moves on to Christmas break in 2006 I finally felt I had waited long enough and was able to ask Jessie to marry me. So I, uh, I took her dad out to lunch and asked his opinion and his blessing to join into his family. And um, he, he reluctantly said yes. Um, I, I then went and asked my dad the same question um, for blessing to bring someone into our family. Um, because, you know, family is just, is, is so important to both of us. And while you do marry each other, um, the family does come along with them. Um, and so I think if either family had had reservations, I think that kind of would have been telling. Um, so I, I then wrote a letter, uh, to Jesse and took her into Kalamilka park and proposed Spoiler alert, she said yes. <laughs> oh, it's my turn. Um, <laughs> so, um, as I said earlier, we've now been married for almost 13 years. And um, as everyone, we've grown and changed. Um, our love has certainly grown and changed and matured in that time for the better and um, just deeper and more faceted, I guess you could say. Um, for me, central to those changes has been our relationship with God, which has also progressed and deepened and brought us closer together. And then also the addition of our children. Um, motherhood has been very transformative for my faith. Um, and that in turn has changed the type of wife I am, I think, and mm -hmm. um, more than anything, being a parent makes me understand our Heavenly Father better. I constantly marvel at His grace with us, um, His patience for us as His children. Um, 
I don't always have that same grace and patience for my own children, um, but because of God's grace for us, I know there's forgiveness in that and understanding and um, just for me, the biggest thing has been that knowing the love that I feel for my family, for my husband and my children um, feels very big to me, but I know that's only a small part of how God feels for us and that immensity is just beyond comprehension and um, it just fills me with such joy to know mm -hmm. that. So yeah, we weren't, we weren't very active Christians uh, during the time of our courtship. Um, we, we went to church infrequently is probably mm. the nicest word to <laughs> use. Um, but we certainly both believed and acknowledged that God divinely brought us together, um, you know, from keeping a phone number for five years in, in, a, in a book that really should have been tossed at the end of the year to just, you know, a thousand tiny little steps that kind of brought us together and, and closer together. Um, it, you know, God has been in all of those pieces. Um, it's been kind of interesting and fun to go dig back into old memories of how and when we met and argue about years and timelines of when certain things happened. And um, what to share, what not to share. What to share, what not to share. Um, if you guys ever want, you know, the, the B side, I'll be happy to give that to you off the record um but yeah in that in that process i actually found my old proposal letter which i had not read since that day i i, I read it to jesse in the park but reading it again um really brought out how divinely god has guided us and so many of the the prayers and the thoughts in that letter have very much been answered and and come true so i'm actually gonna i'm actually gonna read that again uh now to you guys a question that's confused the greatest minds in the world is what is love to me love is a combination of respect faithfulness understanding patience passion and trust i know that in my heart you are the woman that i want to respect love and age together with. I desire to be the man that you deserve, a man that will be faithful, patient, understanding, and worthy of your trust. In time, looks and physical attributes fade, but I know that our love will not fade with time, but will grow and blossom with the grace and love of ourselves, but also that of the Lord above. Till the end of my days, I want to be the man that warms your hands as we are walking, holds you when you need comfort, helps you when you are in pain, answers your questions about movies, and shares your perpetual laughter, smile, and joy. More seriously, I want to be a man that you can depend upon financially, emotionally, spiritually, and in faithfulness in the times of hard and in the easy times. Thus, as a vow of my undying and faithful love and care for you, I present you with this ring which symbolizes the eternal and unending cycle of love that is marriage. Also on this ring is a diamond, which to me represents the everlasting call of God in our lives, 
for just as he planned the span of time and events for that diamond to be created and to end up on your finger, God has also brought our lives and events together for this moment and the moments that we will share for the rest of our natural lives on earth and forever in heaven with him. I think it's the first time I've read it without crying. Um, but yeah, I think that letter is just such an answer to so many prayers and um, just, you know, seeing how so many parts of it have, have come true and just, you know, all the thousand little steps that, that I talked about in terms of just how we met and, and got together and, um, yeah, just through it all has just been God's faithfulness and just the growth of our love together, but also as we grew with him mm-hmm. and him showing us how how to love. So, yeah, thank you for uh, for listening. So, bye. <laughs> well, thank you, Alex and Jesse, for sharing that story with us. Um, it's a story that shows a love that is tested and it's worked over time. A story that is both endearing and enduring. There's so many things that are practical in how the Songs of Solomon is written and it's echoed in the story of Alex and Jesse. The Songs of Solomon is an explicit but tasteful love song designed to point singles to patients, spouses to each other, and everyone to Christ. It is painting a picture of an Edenic union and creation described between Adam and Eve in Genesis 2. But the Songs of Solomon is also a precious remedy for those with a distorted view of the church. First, today I'm going to talk about three things that this book brings out. And the first is it brings out a picture of what covenantal marriage looks like. The Songs of Solomon depicts a committed relationship of marriage. As you read, there's a, there are lots of parts where it even makes me blush as I read it. It reveals the love of a covenant that is made between two lovers. There's a perfect picture of a couple enjoying the company of each other and the attractions that they have for each other. Oftentimes in our Western church culture, we... We're very shy to talk about these things. We're very private and we often get embarrassed when we're asked these questions and we have to talk about the details of of this lovey-dovey story that we have. But God puts it into a book of the Bible and poetically gives us a picture of what is right in a marriage. It's not of lust but of love, is seeing the beauty of our spouse, that there is a physical attraction to each other first, which is that first initial attraction. And that attraction only continues to grow as we listen to Jesse and Alex's story. They, they talk about how, yeah, there is definitely, and it started off with a physical attraction. And that attraction only begins to grow. We see how Jesse talks about how Alex, how she's attracted to Alex's broad shoulders and his smile. In Songs of Solomon, chapter 5, it, it describes, she, the Shunammite woman describes Solomon as radiant and ruddy. His arms are like rods of, of gold. His body is polished ivory. 
polished ivory, I mean, that starts to fade. But that initial attraction only continues to grow more intimate. Jesse goes on to say how she's attracted to Alice's smile, but now she sees a little wrinkles into his eyes. And that, that shows us that there is more intimacy in marriage as, it, as, the, as time goes and our, our relationship deepens. The longer you're married, the more attractive your spouse becomes. And what was attractive about them when you first met them and what is attractive about them 50 years into the marriage, the difference is that what you're attracted to is so much deeper. That is not about the flaws and the things that happen, but it's the small details of each other. And as you get to know each other, and as your intimacy deepens with each other, you get to know each other more. God wants us to get to know each other's other each other more in the space of marriage and in that covenant of marriage. This is a place where love is unedited. It's pure. It's shameless and it's beautiful. It is the quality of this love that intimacy is good. God doesn't dance around it. He doesn't and and he doesn't dance around and and or, or hides it, or makes us feel ashamed of it. He gives us of examples of how we are to be in marriage with each other throughout the entire book of Song of Solomon. And this really points to the commitment that we are to have with each other. Marriage is a commitment. It's covenantal. As Alex puts it in his proposal letter, a commitment which is eternal. A commitment where the wife knows where she belongs. That there is a safe place for her. In, in chapter 2, verse 6, it says that his banner is over me. His banner over me is love. That my beloved is mine and I am his. In, in chapter 6, verse 3. That God wants this to be in our marriages, to have eyes and hearts for each other, to be raw and poetic. This is biblical. This is the way that God designed marriage to be. And in Songs of Solomon, he gives us this beautiful picture of it. And sometimes we look at this book and we're just like, man, I don't even know how to interpret it. Because there is no other way of interpreting it. There are some verses that are in Songs of Solomon. If you, don't, if you haven't read this book, I really encourage you to read this. And read it slowly. Don't skim through it. I tend to skim through it. I'm, I, I will be the first to admit that. Don't skim through it. And there are parts that will make you blush. Because you're just like, well, there is no other way to interpret that verse. But that's the, th that's the beauty of it, is that God intentionally puts it in there because God wants you to have a marriage that's like that. God wants you to know each other intimately in a place where you are able to enjoy each other's presence. God put this in the Bible. God doesn't want us to look elsewhere to figure out how do we have a good marriage. God says, you know what? I'm going to put it in my book for you to know how I want your marriage to be. 
Not to look on the internet, not to look at other books or other experts on it, but look towards God in terms of how he wants to define your marriage and how he wants you to, to enjoy each other. The Songs of Solomon, as much as it is for each other, there's so many practical things that are, are part of this book. This makes so much sense of why this is put in a, as a wisdom literature. There is a book that is written by a man named Gary Chapman. It's called The Five Love Languages. I don't know if you guys have heard of that, that book. But The Five Love Languages that he talks about, he brings up the different ways that we receive and express love. And those five ways are words, touch, service, gifts, and quality time. In the book of Songs of Solomon, it portrays all aspects of all five love languages. And if you're married and you don't know what your wife or husband's love language is, this is an exercise that I want you guys to do this week. Is to talk about what are the love languages that you receive and how do you give love. Oftentimes, it's similar for yourself. So if the way that you give is usually the way that you receive. It's not always the case. But usually the way that you receive is the same as the way that you give. But talk about that as a couple. If you don't know it for each other, go home, talk about it. And by next week, if you haven't talked about it, you're in trouble. This is your homework. For all married couples, you guys have to do this. You guys need to know each other's love language. Why? Because that is an expression of how to love each other. For example, my wife's love language, top one, words of affirmation. My lowest giving is actually words of affirmation. So I need to work extra hard to show her and to give her the words. Why? Because I love her. My, my top love language is acts of service. Guess what? Steph's is, that's her lowest. That is the, her, the bottom of her five, that's her lowest. And so if you look at us, you can say we're not compatible, but what that gives us is that sense of, okay, we know each other, so how do we show each other love the way that they receive it? Very practical, right? It's not no longer about us anymore. It's about how do I show my, my, my husband or my wife? How do I love them the way that they need to be loved? And then you will do it because you love them. So words of affirmation. I'm still not very good at it. After five years of marriage, I'm still not very good at it. But it's giving her those words to tell her. I actually need to be more like Solomon here. I need to give her more of like these poetic things. Thanks, Jillian, for that encouragement. I will, do, I will try harder and harder. The thing is, we gr I grew up in a Chinese home, and like most Chinese homes, you know that you don't hear these things. Any Asian household would probably agree with me. You don't hear your parents ever going ooey-gooey over their, their, their husband or their wife, and so it's not modeled to me. But that doesn't mean that I, need, I, that I shouldn't do it, because it's biblical for me to do it. And so because it's biblical and it's not cultural, I need to be part of that biblical culture of kingdom and do it. Right? And so husbands, be a poet. Be a poet and talk about your wife and notice the little things. I am the worst at this. 
I'm going to be the first to I barely know when my wife changes her hairstyle. Or I barely notice even when my wife dyes her hair. The only reason I know it's because it's in the calendar of our family that she's going to get her hair done. And that gives me the cue to say, oh, I love what you did to your hair. That is wrong. Men, that is so wrong. Husbands, do not do that. Take moments where you are able to notice things about your wife. Little things. The best thing is, if you notice the little things, then she knows that you notice a whole package. Right? Oh, I see that you, you put on new lipstick. See, I'm really bad at this because I don't even really know when she's wearing lipstick. <laughs> but I'm working on it. Hold me to this church. But as you hold me to it, men, I will hold you to it too. Okay? Okay, Davy. Jeanette, tell me if Davy's not doing it, okay? But that's what it is, that God makes this very practical for us in Songs of Solomon. And he shows us, this is how you are to be. Speak this love to each other. And there's, this, there's an importance in speaking that out to each other. Because when you speak it, what comes out of the mouth is what the heart feels, right? If you love them so much, speak it out. If you see the beauty, speak it out. If you care for them so much and you're so in love with them, tell them on a daily basis. In so many ways, especially for, for how things are today, we as people do not do this enough. And... In the marriage situation, we definitely don't do this enough. And so as husband and wife, you guys need to speak to each other in this way that Songs of Solomon gives us. It's a, it's a, it's a matter of building intimacy with each other. This is very practical in the sense of, I mean, don't call your wife a horse. Don't, don't do that. That's, in today's culture, society, that, that is not a nice term, okay? Call, don't call her something else. Have a nickname for her. Do anything that is just for the two of you. Something that is just for the two of you. Nobody else needs to know it. Nobody else needs to hear it. It's just for the two of you. And this book paints this picture of this couple that absolutely adore each other, absolutely love each other. They always want to spend every single aspect of time with each other. Quality time. For many of us, that is the biggest love language, quality time. It's always within, usually it's within the top three. Spend that time. And in, in, if you read through Songs of Solomon, there's a, there's a part of it where the two lovers are separated and they just yearn to be with each other. They crave to be with each other. And that's where we need to be in our marriage, is that, that craving to be with each other. So, first practical thing, men. And woman, notice the little things. Speak. Speak out those things that you do notice. I'm not saying that you have to be very specific. Maybe just start off with, hey, you look great today. But definitely move on from there, okay? Don't Because that's not a cop-out. Like, I, I could see most guys like, oh... Pastor John said this, 
Every day I'm just going to say, hey, you look great today. Well, what looks great? Start talking about what looks great. What is it that, that, that makes me so attracted to you today? But take time to notice. Notice the small things. This is, this is wisdom. I'm giving you guys gold here, okay? For those that are dating, gold. This is gold. I'm handing you gold. Wisdom. It shows how much you care. We shouldn't be stingy with these things. Express the love, express the love in the way that your spouse needs to be loved, not just the way that, that you want to be loved or you love, because your love language and their love language can be so different. Another thing that Songs that, um, Song of Solomon gives us is that we need to guard our spouses. It says, catch the little foxes for us that spoil the vineyard in, in chapter 2, verse 15. There are going to be so many things that will come into your marriage and into your relationship that the enemy is going to use to spoil your marriage. That wants to ruin the marriage, that wants to split up the marriage, that wants to bring a divide. And so in, in, in this book, there's wisdom in the aspect of make sure that you guard the marriage to reaffirm your commitment to each other all the time. Do not let the enemy come into, into the marriage where it doesn't belong. Do not allow lust for another to, to, to come in. Do not commit adultery. Do not let the relationship be strained. By guarding your marriage, you need to be able to surround yourself with people that will lift you up and encourage your marriage. Don't let people come into your marriage, then these could be family members, that will tell you that your spouse is so-and-so and your spouse is this and this. Because what that's going to happen is that's going to create a divide between you and your spouse. And you need to make sure that you come into a place of guarding that marriage. And you need to come into a place of knowing that this is a covenant that I made and I need to guard this so find people that will come into come alongside you that will encourage your marriage and encourage you guys to stay together encourage even though every marriage experiences strife i'm not going to say there's 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 not a single marriage that doesn't experience hardship but you need to bring people alongside you that will encourage you to grow as a person so that you can can go get through those hardships if that is seeing a marriage counselor, go see a marriage counselor. There is nothing wrong with seeing counseling. If your marriage needs it, then do it. You change your oil in your car so that your car runs regularly. Why would you not do something for your marriage so that your marriage continues to be healthy? Do whatever it takes to guard that marriage to make sure that the enemy doesn't get in and speak things into that marriage that should not be. Make sure that the marriage is protected by everybody that is around you and bring in allies that come and say, not foolishly give you advice to stay in the marriage because if there's something wrong, that needs to be spoken out about as well. If there's abuse in the relationship, that needs to be addressed but in a place where it encourages your marriage. Guard it. 
Guard it in a place where it is healthy and that it thrives and you allow it to grow. That intimacy increases, that your relationship deepens. That you get to know each other more and more. That even those things that annoy the heck out of you, that those things get worked out through learning to love each other. Because when you love your spouse, you start learning about the things that, that you do to annoy your spouse. And so many and so often those annoyances is God using your spouse to work out characteristics where he's just like, hey, there's some changes that need to happen here. So instead of seeing it as a confrontation from your spouse, see it as a confrontation from God. And say, hey, what is it that my wife or my husband feels in the moment that I do this? And change it. Because it doesn't matter how you feel about it, it's how they receive it. Right? And if they receive it in a, in a place then change the way that you give it so that they receive it in a place that's positive. That it reaffirms your love. That's what it's about. Right? Marriage is a thing that really brings in that Proverbs of iron sharpening iron. It brings a place where you start to see each, your, each other's flaws and you see your own flaws through, through this, this relationship. And God uses this to perfect you guys as, as a couple and to bring out the best qualities of your marriage so that the world can see and the world is glorified to know that God is in, in the midst of your marriage. So the book is very practical. There are so many other things that I'm not going to go into because of time. It gives so many practical aspects of even for singles and those that are dating what to expect as you enter and you look towards marriage. What to look for. Don't just, for, for a lot of the girls that are just looking for any guy, don't just go and, 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 and be like, oh, there's a guy that's interested. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give myself to that. But don't do that. Set an expectation of this is what God wants for me in my marriage and this is what you need to rise up to become. Just like Alex and Jesse, and Alex in his proposal letter and, and the way that he, he proposed was like, it was biblical in a way where he's just like, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you. I'm going to do all these things, and these are my promises to you as we enter into a marriage relationship. That's what you, all of you girls should expect because that's what you all deserve. The last one I'm going to close off is with how this paints a picture of Christ and his church. Then in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. It was in the purity of their relationship that this was possible because they enjoy, that they enjoyed, if only for a short season, an uncorrupted relationship with God. The Songs of Solomon is to be read and preached in light of the entire biblical canon and through the lens of Ephesians 5, where we learn that Marriage is a mystery that refers to Christ and his church. The Songs of Solomon really does point forward to Christ. It is the gospel. As a wife longs to be with her husband, so the church longs to be with Christ. The husband chases after his wife with words, so Christ chases after his, 
chases after his church with his word. As the love of the husband is to be the, white, the love of a husband, nothing can separate us from Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the gospel played out in a dialogue between two lovers as Christ is to the church. For centuries, the Jewish people read the Songs of Solomon out loud in preparation for the Passover. Why did they do this? Because this book, the Songs of Solomon, they saw more than wisdom for Mary to live in. What they saw is that it is of God's covenantal love for his people. I love the way that this book ends. It ends open-ended. And there's a purpose in the way that it ends because it's left for the purpose that we continue to write the story of how this is to finish. So today as we look at Songs of Song Solomon, this paints a picture for us of what marriage is to be like and what we should expect in marriage. And it's the testimonies that were given. Our marriage gives glory and honor to God and it continues the gospel message that God has for his church. That is the purpose of this book. That is the purpose of why we are looking at this. And there are so many more things as we, as we continue to preach this through the summer and through the testimonies that are going to come. There are so many more practical things that can come out of this poetic book. And so my encouragement for you this week is read it. Just read it. Read it over and over again. Because if you're anything like me, it's very, for me, I have to continue. I actually have to read this out loud. I can't actually read this in my head. I read this out loud, so in many ways, I read this poetry to Steph many times this week. <laughs> but read it because there are so many practical things in there. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for just your wisdom and how you want us to be in marriage and in a covenant relationship with each other. But Lord, at the same time, you show us how you love your church. So Father God, as we come before you and as we look at, uh, as, we, as we continue to look through this book this summer, Lord, may you continue to give us wisdom that comes from this book and how we are to relate to each other, but how, we, how you relate to us as a church. So, Father God, may we come before you and ask for your Holy Spirit to come and just breathe life into us. We love you. We thank you. We put all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you guys next week.